Welcome to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. And thanks so much for joining us on Homestyle with the wonderful Shana Blaze. I am producer and host Jane Neild. And each couple of weeks, uh, we jump into a podcast studio so we can learn more about Shana Blaze. Of course, interior designer, author, TV presenter, and back on our screens as one of the judges on the block. Well, actually, Shana, we get you in the studio. So through your incredible life in design, we can all hopefully learn more about design. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's been sending feedback and also, you know, commenting on Shana's social media media to say they love just listening to you chat about design. And of course, so much experience goes into what probably looks easy on TV, Shana, the whole concept of judging someone in a competition. Have you found over the years that there are certain types of people who don't take feedback very well? (laughs) Definitely people that have blinkers on. Definitely people that walk in and think that they know everything, even though they really have never done a design, they've never renovated a house, which I find incredible. But people that have a very strong sense of themselves and think that they know exactly what it's all about. And, you know, I have no problem with a strong um, team. I'm a strong person. But but it's about you're there to hear what the professional advice is. And I have been doing this since I was 17. Mm. And so it is something that I'm very not just passionate about, I live it. I live it all the time. And also, especially now that we're in the decades, history of design was one of my favourite subjects. So I've been looking at history of design since 19... (laughs) (laughs) Last decade, as we will say, last century... Look, if you've just discovered the podcast as well, make sure you go back and have a listen to episode 11. We did go a little bit more into some of the issues that are popping up on the block. You said there that when people have blinkers on, it can be problematic with design. And I'm assuming that goes for your clients as well, that if they've just got a really rigid idea of what they want, it could be really difficult for you. Uh, There is a particular couple on the block, uh, Luke and Jasmine from Perth. She's got a modern style, completely flawed, that she's now got to renovate with a period sort of twist. Would you say that's kind of blinkered, though? Do you think contestants come into it going, I know exactly what the master bedroom's going to be like? And really, I mean, that's what I would do. If I was going on MasterChef, I would learn to cook every recipe in the book you've ever seen on the show. So is it a case maybe of going, I've got this nailed, I've done all my research. What? Hang on a second. Curveball, what have you done? <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is, Jasmine said it. She said, I'm a modern person. It's not my thing. And, you know, that's Shana's opinion. It's not my opinion. It's fact. And you've been given the brief. And that's (laughs) it. With any competition, with anything that you're doing, when you're given a brief, it's about sticking to it. So I think, you know, if you can't get your head around a certain design, listen to the feedback. Listen to what people are saying. And that's sort of also happens sometimes with clients in the fact that they have this general idea of the look that they're after and they're going, but but isn't this what this is? And, 
you just go, well, you've actually employed me to give you the correct professional advice. Let's just go through this. Is this personal taste you're talking about? Are you talking about the building? How do you want to approach it? Because they're two different things. You know, really good design advice covers, as you said, so many different Mm -hmm. things. It's not just walking in and and having an opinion. It's talking about structure. It's talking about history. It's talking about materials. It's talking about planning, coming from the heartstrings. It's practicality, functionality. It is sustainability. It's ergonomics. Everything we've talked about on the podcast so far. (laughs) Everything, everything. So it's not an opinion. Yeah, there's a lot of research and a lot of actual experience in there. Absolutely. And I think also, like, you know, Luke Luke and Jasmine did start getting into it okay when Darren came in and told them that's what it needs to be done. Anyway, Mm. whatever. But, you know, we had a good chat because um, Darren, Neil and I really said that if these guys don't get this period, they're really just going to turn it into a modern house that is not going to be very well received for buyers. Yeah, especially if you're up against four other properties, which have got those beautiful period twists as well. And the thing is also that the reason why this works so well in Brighton is that Brighton is full of decades of different homes and different eras. And when you're paying a certain amount of money, you want what's right. So if you're going modern, you want a modernista type Mm. house interior and exterior. You don't want a period home on the outside and then turn into the vortex when you go inside of a different modern modernist world. Excellent. It's a, it's a good sort of way to have your, your mindset about you when you're watching the block this year. There is <laughs> rules. There has been a brief and that is how, hopefully this will deflect some of the heat you've got on social media. <laughs> oh, <Shana. laughs> and, and you know what? That's that's okay. I mean, pe- people get heated up. People won't like my opinion whether I'm right or wrong anyway, and that's just fine. <laughs> I have no issue because I know that I am speaking the truth. I'm speaking what the rules are, and this is what we've been told to, to, to stay with the rules, and mm. we're there to show them what the rules are. I know a couple of episodes ago we had a woman writing with a question, you know, about getting her daughter into sort of design. Would you say for a start, though, that really you've got to be able to stick to your guns as a designer, but as you're learning, you need to absorb all of that feedback and, and criticism perhaps from your mentors? Uh, the, the, simplest, the simplest way to explain it is learn the rules – then break them. Yes. Don't break them when you walk in the door. It's too late. You're done. (laughs) All right. Let's continue our little trip down memory lane as we look at some of the periods of the properties that you'll be uh, seeing getting renovated on the block this year. So, Shana, let's head to the Art Deco period, the 1930s. We're thinking about Melbourne. We might be hearing this on our radio. There's no sun up in the sky, stormy weather. That is Ethel Waters, Stormy Waters, from around about 1934. So in a historical sort of frame, at the end of the 20s, 1929, the Great Depression hits, the stock market crashes on Wall Street and throws most of the world. It just sounds so familiar, doesn't it, Shana? Oh, my God. As we struggle through a pandemic. And then at the end, other end of the 30s, we're going to have World War II starting in about 1939. So a pretty tumultuous period period in Australian history, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's like two wars crunched in between and we, we've got to have a, an actual decade style. I, I think that's where you see the difference of coming out of the 1920s, which was the beginning of, of Art Deco going into 1930s, is the fact that you have the Great Depression in there and you don't have those beautiful velvets, you don't have that glamour, you don't have that 
bling. You come into very strong linear lines and also shapes that are geometric, but then you also have the curves, which are circles and arches, which is a big thing because of travel. Because of the planes, it was war planes, but also then the planes now became an access for travel. And then you had the big liners that were now also accessible as travel for the everyday person. Not so much, you know, that the the battler, but it wasn't just the elite. So the access to liner travel. And you think of, you know, the next suburb up from Brighton, which is St Kilda, which is very, very strong art deco. And that is within that boom period of in between the two wars. And it's very strong and very shapely and you had lots of curves in the actual building shape as well as what you had on the internals. And what you saw is the chinoiserie, which we did mention in the very first uh, room reveal, is that there was a very strong oriental influence coming through because of the access to travel. And it wasn't just the wartime access in the First World War. And it was coming through in the fact that we had access to the Silk Road. And Mm. very interesting uh, how that affected colours and and shapes. And it's not the part that is really full on out there, but the chinoiserie was a beautiful, elegant part. It was quite contrasted to the harshness of the geometrics of Art Deco. And so, Shana, when you sort of mention, you know, like St Kilda and these smooth lines and, and a different kind of design in that Art Deco period, do you think that was because it was cheaper to build like that, like a structure that you were getting rid of a lot of that really labour-intensive fiddly design that may have been around in the sort of Victorian era and onward? Yeah, and it had a lot to do with um, really moving away from fine art artisans, and mm. that, that was a big thing as well. And sort of getting a bit more sort of consumerism and getting a little bit more sort of accessibility to, to items. And also it's around that time uh, that we're really – it was a lot earlier in Germany, but it took a while to hit Australia, which was um, the Bauhaus and the modernism. And, you know, that sort of started in the, the early 10s, but it, didn't, it took a long time to get to Australia. But the modernism uh, really sort of – mixed together with the Art Deco at that time. So we got rid of frivolity, which was very big in the 10s and the 20s, of course. The frou-frou. The (laughs) frou-frou. The frou-frou and the um, excess of the 20s. And it was all about um, streamlining and functionality and and really modernism, which is how you could explain a lot of Art Deco. And I think if, if why I love Art Deco so much when you look at that is that that can work so well as a high-end modern home, mm. but the base is all Art Deco and it is exquisite to work with. And if you walked into a period home with an Art Deco-sensitive renovation, what are some of the key things you would be wanting to see? I would keep every original architectural feature, even if they were crumbling, I would, <laughs> one, either completely restore it, don't have that time on the block, but this is what I would do in the real real world. Or two, I would take the elements of it, keep the original there, and then make the brand new right next to it and make them 
meld together. Mm. And then one obviously is crumbling and old and original and the other is the brand new of exactly the same. Mm. And there's a story, there's a history and there's just, wow, what was it like for those people that made that but they didn't have the machinery Mm. and the materials that we have today? How long did that take? So... uh, I love the conversations having original period details and the, and that's where we talk about the respect of the building and the heritage. And not trying to sort of hide that difference between the two? Well, I think also it, it, it comes down to it's easier to get rid of them mm. and that's that's not the right thing to do. It's gone. Once it's gone, it's Once gone. Once it's gone, it's gone. Those yeah. heritage features. It's really sad. <laughs> and we, we see that in a lot of 70s renovations and, you know, or in the 80s where you, you go into an old Victorian or something like that and you go, mm, okay, the 80s was not not kind to this building. <laughs> and you see a lot of those. And um, in Tasmania, get a load of this, in Tasmania I saw the other day uh, – you know, because they were there when when the boats first came in from from England, and somebody was getting rid of a nineteen seventies or eighties renovation of of just a bathroom cabinets over the top, uh, what was there? And once they pulled the cabinet out, it had the original hand painted wallpaper oh. from like eighteen seventy. And then there was another wallpaper over the top that was like 1930. So you had these two layers of history just hidden there behind a vanity. It was just a case of just whack it on the top. It was amazing. (laughs) What would you do in that situation? Would you then try and rescue at least one layer of that history? They've actually rescued both of them. Wow. So it it probably will be a case of the, the wallpaper coming off. And, oh, that's right, it was... Okay, so it was the wallpaper. So they take the wallpaper off and to restore it and maybe put it in the museum or frame it. But underneath that was a hand drawing, a child's hand drawing that was earlier. Yeah. So it was just, it was incredible, all this history. And that's where you just go, this is why I love old houses, (laughs) the stories inside them. Not to mention on the block, one of the couples had the original light fixture that they said they found in the floor. How on earth can a house be transported nearly derelict? And you still find an intact vintage uh, light fixture in the floor. All I can think of <laughs> is that, you know, that the people that were moving it just took it off so it wouldn't sway yeah. and they just shoved it in between, a, you know, a couple of joists just to keep it safe and forgot about it. <laughs> and it didn't break. That is incredible. So lucky. <laughs> and the thing is also that light, a lot of people would not have thought, wow, that's Art Deco. It's because it had that beautiful chinoiserie about it. And that's yeah. what I loved, what they did. They kept it very simple and made it uh, that that sort of level of detail of a different part and a different element of what the expectation of Art Deco mm. is. And this is Homestyle with Shana Blaze, of course, brought to you by Red Energy. Born and bred in Melbourne, that's Red Energy. Let's head to the 1940s and you might have been listening to, well, you weren't born yet, Shana. <laughs> God, I hope so. Thank goodness. Uh, Bing Crosby swinging on a star, 1944. Carry moonbeams home in a jar. Of course, World War II kicks off in 1939 and then the 40s, uh, you know, that goes right through until halfway through that decade. So then we have this next period of, of optimism and, okay, things were tough, 
But women went out and started getting lots more work and working in factories and filling the roles of the, you know, servicemen that had left the country, some sadly never to return. Then you get the post-war sort of period. So tell us about that kind of war era. Yeah, and I think that was really incredible when we initially saw the house of the actual uh, details of it, that there's so much in there that is exquisite and beautiful, you know, to have those details taken out and not respect them, which was, you know, the beautiful ceiling roses. Mm, oh, my God, mm. to have a ceiling rose like that in 1940, to have those timber elements. And it was obviously someone that had a lot of money for those details because there wasn't, as you said, you know, we're coming out of another world mm. war and not having uh, what you're working within the elements of that. And there was also the sense of hope in coming out of 1940 and really sort of there was a lot of builders' houses and a lot of, you know, people trying to sort of get what's happening into creating more work for the returned soldiers. And there was government grants to help them actually build houses and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there was two parts in. There was the beautiful structure of what we saw was not put in um, on that first week. But then you had the other part of 1940s, which was the drab part. And, and that was that's one part that Neil really talked about a lot in the fact that the interior was very basic because the lack of money. So they built the structure and a lot of them had the brick columns and a bit of stucco at the front. And then inside it was um, carpet and very simple walls. But the carpet had lots of daggy florals. So this is where the <laughs> daggy florals really kicked in, which is the 1940s. We had the gorgeous Victoriana. Then we had, you know, the, the arts and crafts movement. And then we had all that elegance of the 20s and the 30s chinoiserie. And then we just had carpet with just big clumps <laughs> of roses. Then we had wallpaper that just had lots of little itty-bitty buds. And so it was a little bit tizzy but also a little bit oppressive. So there's there's a real mixture of some that were wealthy that had all those incredible architectural details and worked with. Then you had the other ones that had no real architecture about them so they filled it with tizzy in mm. but not a great tizzy like you think of some really old 1940s carpets but then also you know you do have uh, structures that still had a little bit of art deco in there so it, I've got to say it was a very very confused decade. <laughs> It sort of feels like there's that kind of the housewife, we need to go back to being housewife women. Well, the it, men have all come back, but oh, it definitely sure was. It, it definitely was because what, what had happened in here is that we had the, the, the brick bungalows, we had fibro cottages because they needed to build a lot of houses for returned soldiers. Yeah, and a lot and quickly. And a yeah. lot of quickly. So mm. that that's where we had, you know, not the, the miners' cottages, we had the fibro houses. So mm. this is where we started kicking in with mass production of 1940s, which, you know... Some some areas of, of golfing areas had beautiful sort of estates started in the 1940s. So this is where this house that I believe on the block would have come from these beautiful estates. Mm. It wouldn't have been one of those 1940s shacks. So there was a real divide in, in monetary um, wealth in, in the 40s without a doubt. And so what would you want to walk into a home who, you know, with this period in mind, what sort of things are you wanting to see? Do you want to see some risky floral carpet or is that the bad end of things you probably don't want reflected in a modern Brighton home? Well, the thing is we in quite a few of the blocks gone by, not, not the last one, um, but definitely in 
Elstonwick, we, we saw all those beautiful florals that had come out. We've seen a, a lot of beautiful photography at the moment that mm. has uh, beautiful floral murals. And that would be an incredible ter- interpretation of the 1940s of a modernistic version of those florals in the carpet. And you could do some really beautiful floral carpets that were works of art. So I wouldn't have a problem with that. So that's working in what the essence of the 1940s florals is, but giving it a modern element. So that's where we're talking about not being a slave and recreating architecture. Be very interesting to see where contestants go with that one. Uh, quickly, we're going to go through the 50s and the 60s as Ooh, well. Controversial, so, I must say. We worked out on the block in the first uh, guest room reveal that perhaps the uh, couple who are in the 50s house are thinking more 60s. They were happy to go, oh, look, it was 1959 we were emulating. I think I'm confused as well because, Mm -hmm. look, for me, 50s is real kind of kitchen, round refrigerators and for Micah and and a lot of, I guess it's the actual materials that things were being mass produced. You mentioned sort of Bakelite earlier, but this is where plastic starts to come into things. How wrong am I? Like 50s compared to 60s. Give us your sort of definition on those two. Well, there is is almost like that rockabilly part of 1950s, which Mm. is definitely the Elvis, the beehive, uh, you know, Grease is the word and, you know, happy days if you want to put that modern yes. sort of interpretation of. But that's the very early 50s. And then you get into the later 50s. But if you have a look at the architectural history of Australia, and this is what uh, I think people were very confused by, is that 1950s was the beginning of what we know as mid-century, what we have turned around and changed and mixed mid-century and Scandi as one thing. But this was the actual original mid-century. You've got you know, 1953, I think it is, is the original Featherstone. So we've got these beautiful, incredible um, Melbourne furniture designers, which is Featherstone. And that was early 1953. And if you look up their chairs, you will see that that's what everybody uses as a Scandi chair, but it was actually Mm, 1953. So that's why what they had put out there wasn't so far removed. We were sort of moving in the fact that the colours and the shapes they were doing was more towards the late 50s and early 60s. But if you look up early Aaron Slim's and um, as a photographer, it has a very beach pool party vibe. But that was in the late 50s and also the 60s. It wasn't just 60s as people think. And then also you've got houses that were um, built in Australia that were very um, iconic that you've got, if you'd look them up, you've got Robin Boyd. You always hear people referring Robin to Robin Boyd, <laughs> one of the most famous um, architects in Melbourne modernist architecture and changing. And that was the 50s. And that was very streamlined, very simple, very structured. A lot of people think that's 70s, but it was actually 50s. So the angled roofs and everything that's happened, it's not far removed from what um, Jimmy and Tam have done. Yeah. And these really high windows with lots of, you know, way more view out of a building than you would have had previous to that. You're exactly right. I'm just quickly looking at some images yeah. thinking, I so see that as 70s, but right. That's yeah, it's 50s. And also like, you know, a famous family here here in Melbourne and two gorgeous girls um, uh, that have the Zusta range, uh, their family, you know, in the in the late 50s start had the um, Siebel houses. Mm. And, you know, she She's been actually restoring, but you know you've got fifties, sixties, seventies. If you look at some of the, some of the fifties houses, you actually think they might be sixties, but they're fifties. Mm. And this is where I want people to actually go back and look at Mad Men. Mad uh-huh. Men started in the fifties. It yes. started in the fifties. 
So, so this is, of course, the classic, classic uh, television drama series about yes. the advertising men yeah. of Madison Avenue. Is it? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we definitely had had the laminate. We had like you know, I think one of our favourite things of you know working out what the fifties is is that that red laminate with you know the metal around with the the diner. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and you just like get yourself caught on it all the time. So you know we. We don't have the diner. We had some diner, but then you've got the mid-century. So that's Mm. definitely um, where Jimmy and Tam come in. And so they combine the two. And I think, you know, if people sort of look at that part of it and and look at Australian history of of mid-century in 1950s, I think they'll actually be really surprised. Mm, And I cannot wait to see how they do a kitchen where you need to try and be as high-end, high-spec as you want to be. You know, like the kitchen is often so modern these days. How do you do that in a house that's reflecting the 50s? Well, and also they they won the Gaganau package in the very first week. So they have got like... 20 grand worth of appliances. (laughs) Unbelievable, which, you know, you would not have seen that wealth in the 1950s. And that's the thing, you don't sort of mix wealth for the 1950s because also it was also the part where the woman was put back into the kitchen. Mm. So it was it was way of squashing women down, get back to the kitchen so the men could actually have the jobs from the 1940s. So the 50s women, you know, were back in the kitchen and they weren't given a great one. <laughs> and, and that's why people started uh, drinking G&Ts at four o'clock in the afternoon on Mad Men. <laughs> Absolutely. Mother's little helper. You know, in the afternoon, and you know, and going into the nineteen sixties was, you know, that that part of the mid century, which was about the timbers and the very simple bold colours, and then once you started getting to the sixties, it changed again. Mm. And which what are we are we talking like the psychedelic period of the, the sort of late sixties, seventies? Yeah, but in? you also had the early part of the sixties was the space race. Mm. So that's where you know. Man first walked on the moon. This is where we were about foil. This is where we were about sort of, you know, space food and space packages. The Jetsons. And the Jetsons, <laughs> all that. So it was all about psychedelia and acid, but it was also, that was towards the end of it, but it was also women, again, wanting to get out of the kitchen mm. and defining their life. So there was revolution and then there was flower power and then there was Woodstock. And so the 1960s ended up being very hippie. So that's mm. where the confusion between the 50s and 60s come in because that, that mid-century 60s is actually the early part of 1960s, not the late part. You can see why it is very confusing for the poor contestants who got thrown into a competition yeah. and then had to suddenly fight their way through all this history. And, and that's the thing also. And, and honestly, to tell you the truth, that's why I love design so much because you can get a history lesson. And once you start delving into that and, and think about what we're talking about today on this podcast and then go back and look at the one before this is the fact that, you know, changing designs is a reaction of history. And, you know, we've talked about this also about how COVID is affecting how people are living and what it's going to mean for the future. It changes economy, wars and pandemics Mm. change the course of history. And when you change the course of history, the economy gets affected, people's livelihoods get affected, and so your housing, your decor, your colours are all going to be affected by what moves on next. That's really interesting you say that. Just to sort of pick up on that point, I noticed one couple put a study into their guest bedroom, but it actually made me think, I'm like, oh, my God, I would not want to work in a little room which is kind of, you know, a metre and a bit wide, a little bit of LED lighting. I'm thinking the modern pandemic working from home is 
finding some light, finding a corner of the house that's got lots of natural light and perhaps a view. Like, I don't think a study anymore is just a little tiny place you just kind of work half an hour a week when you might be home from the office. That's study <laughs> and this is, you know, that study was almost the same as of putting the woman back in the kitchen. Yeah. It was tucked Don't work away. In the cupboard, would you love? Go work in the cupboard. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's one of those places where and we will see later as the you know, the block goes on is that the change of what happens of people's thinking uh, because of COVID. And, you know, I saw somebody post a picture today saying that's their first day back in the office for six months. Wow. But it's still only one day a week. And we don't know what the world is going to be, you know, as much as we all want to get back to the office, the kids will want to get back to school. The reality is that the office world of high-rise living and the amount of people within there won't be what it was. No. It could take four or five years to get back to whatever that normal, but not everybody wants to go back to that normal. No, very interesting to see. Like you say, you know, everything is reflected in our design. We're certainly going to be looking out for that. And just to recap, Shana, if someone has just decided to jump into a period renovation, bought themselves a property, inherited one, you know, that, that little bit of advice from you on how to tackle it, is it don't touch anything until you know what you're doing. Do not remove any ceiling roses or cornices or, or period features until you know what you're kind of aiming for. Jane, <laughs> I think that's the best advice is, and I, I won't say it how I normally would say it because I would blow people away on this <laughs> microphone, but just imagine I'm yelling this really loud. Stop! Yes. Stop yes. and think. <laughs> Do your research. Don't get all crazy and just pull everything out. But the thing is also, like, you might actually buy a house that actually has a few periods in it and it could be somebody who's done a very dodgy renovation. Go in to the council and have a look when the planning application was put in and then also when it was built because not always, you know, the planning application um might have been two or three years before and it's crossed a decade. Mm. And then somebody has renovated it 20 years later and gone over the original features and then you're actually left with a confused house because it's got two decades apart. Which are the features that you keep? Which are the ones that you do? And it, usually the exteriors are the ones that stay and then the interior you might have to do a bit of melding and meshing and see where that works. Uh, but I think I think it's really important to, to look at when the planning applications were put in for renovation as much as when mm. it was built and then also research the era, research the history and find some fun facts. And I know we've talked about a lot of the doom and gloom about life-changing history, but all the fun bits that happen in there that give it exuberance. Now, Shana, we love to do a little recommendation uh, each and every episode. So who would you be recommending if you've got a little bit of a passion now for finding out about Australia's architectural and design history? Look, I think that... Australia really changed in the 50s to being a new look and a new feel. And Tim Ross, it's his passion. He bought a 1950s house in Sydney. He's done talks. He's got books. He's got a roadshow about it. So have a look at his um, modernista. And um, he's somebody who knows exactly what he's talking about. And I think he would love Jimmy and Tam's version. He has got some incredible insights into Australian design. He'll be the guy that will make you realise you shouldn't throw out the old esky in your garage because it's a classic piece of Australian oh. design you never realised. Can I just say, one day the hills hoist will come back <laughs> because I think the children that will never know the beauty of swinging on it as a five-year-old 
and that's the best trip ever. It doesn't cost you anything to go to a carnival. Just swinging around the clothesline is one of the best memories of a childhood. And Tim Ross certainly celebrates that. So uh, Shana's recommendation for a follow this week is at Modernista on Insta. Absolutely love it. And we cannot wait to uh, continue to see you judging on the block. Fair as always, in my opinion. I'm... Mine too. <laughs> And, of course, if you'd like to ask Shona a question, you can head on to her Instagram, on the Facebook. So much great content, Shona. I love that you put stuff that you write in other publications out there and you're really busy. So if you want to be in touch with everything that Shana is uh, writing and talking about, head to her Instagram and to the Facebook page. And can I just say, please don't write me a DM because it gets flooded and... Good point. I, I don't, yeah. So just do it on the main page. I, I don't answer the DMs anymore because it's just, it's too... It's too laborious, time-consuming, and, and I just don't have the time. Write it on the page because then I can actually And then look everyone at all can the join the fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'd love to get some questions up for next time. I'm going to do a little bit of a seasonal chat as well next time as we start enjoying this spring, see how we can bring the seasons into our home design. You have been listening to Homestyle with me, Jane Neild, and Shana Blaze, all thanks to Red Energy. With a customer solutions team based here in Melbourne, switch to Red Energy today. Day. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks on Homestyle. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today.